Everybody, welcome. It's the Throwback Show. Thanks for watching. That means we're going to show you some clips that are from the bowels of the channel way back in the beginning. But also, we're going to give you new insight into them. We got Matt here who helped create the whole thing. We're going to talk about not only what the clips mean and take you through a thread of Swedenborgian thought, but also how did these clips come to be. All right, so we're going to, the, the theme of the show is becoming more human. Uh, how are you doing so far? I'm human. Okay. I'm doing we're great. We're becoming more human. That may seem strange because you think, wait, well, we're already humans. But as old Swedenborg says, humanity is something we're actually aspiring to. And this is going to lay out what that all means. So we're going to begin uh, talking with a Swedenborg minute, which was from our old short clip video series that has to do with exactly that. It's about instinct. You know, that initially, you, you see the animals when they're born. Some of them are loaded with instinct. And Swedenborg says, there is a human instinct to mutual love. But we've kind of flipped that on its head so we don't get it anymore. Anyway, here's a short clip. Chances are, all of us who watch videos like this one are what we would call human beings. We're the only species that can operate machines like laptops or smartphones or bulldozers. So, wait, what? Look at this article. The inhuman yet human bulldozers came at dawn. Has another species figured out how to use excavating equipment? The article is about government-backed bulldozers, driven by humans that leveled a poor village because it lacked the correct building permits to exist. The situation and the politics of that article aside, all I want to look at is the title. We label actions that we perceive to be evil in some way as inhuman, as if having a physical human body isn't enough to guarantee us a spot in the human club. You've got to act like a human too. Swedenborg wrote that a truly human being is someone who acts and thinks from a perspective of love, selflessness, and compassion. Our human form, our faces, our hands, our bodies are an image of this ideal. So we sense the discord when someone looks like a human being on the outside, but is inhuman in the way they view and treat others. In a way, being human is a goal, something we can all be striving toward. And all the graphics in that were done by Matt. All the bulldozers and the uh, highlighting and stuff. Do you want to say anything about that? No. Okay, cool. We'll get his input on some stuff later on. We want, it was just a little short clip, so we want to give you another one. If we're talking about the instinct to mutual love, Swedenborg says we don't get that automatically anymore, but we can by pushing out the things that pull us in the opposite direction, uh, specifically critical negative thoughts and feelings. So you should pay attention to this one specifically. There's another Swedenborg minute, and this one is called, uh, it's actually a Swedenborg two minute, pretty much. It's called, Don't Let Hell Push You Around. There are people who dress up like police officers, and they go up to tourists and they say, hey, can we have your wallet? We want to make sure you don't have any counterfeit bills. And then they steal the money. We all know that vulnerable people, like tourists, get preyed on by others. Swedenborg was a tourist in the afterlife, and while he met a lot of nice people there, he was constantly being harassed by the not nice people. They weren't after his money, but after his happiness, and they would mess with his mind in all kinds of ways, criticizing and degrading the things he cared about, bringing up unpleasant memories, misleading him. So why does it matter? Well, because according to him, it's happening to you too. Just because we can't see them, doesn't mean they aren't trying to pull the same stuff on us. Ever notice how just about all of us get running negative self-talk, unsolicited critical thoughts about others, 
bouts of despair, etc. These don't just originate in our brain or in our life experiences, they're flowing in from the collective dark side of humanity, which Swedenborg called hell. The trick is that they make it seem like it's coming from us. Like those are our thoughts, perceptions, conclusions, beliefs, and urges, when really we're being used by hell for their own agenda, which is to cause misery in us or in other people through the things they get us to do. But we don't have to just sit there and take it. As the bumper sticker says, don't believe everything you think. By resisting negativity and seeing it as something alien, we can detach from it and eventually turn the tide against them. It's like when those fake police come up saying, uh, can I see some ID first? I thought I recognized some of those the the hell silhouettes. Yeah, was that was that you in there? That well, that was both of us. Uh, <laughs> one day we got the green screen up and we just got some cool lighting and just we're evil spirits for yeah. Because well, they don't have a lot of like free download evil people in evil positions graphics, so we think, had to use what we yeah. So we use that for a lot of stuff. If, if you go on the Heaven and Hell Facebook page, yeah, facebook.com slash Heaven and Hell Swedenborg, you can you can see a lot of we we had to use what we had. Right? Yeah, but that that Swedenborg minute uh, is cool in a lot of ways. First of all, it begins to touch on Swedenborg's idea of hell attacking the mind, which is something that back in the day when the channel was young and we didn't have a, an audience, I would just sort of tiptoe in that direction because it's like this bizarre idea. But now we go in, we have the, all these episodes of the show, um, how to deal with evil spirits, the lies evil spirits tell us, how to free your mind from hell. They go into that in depth, which is great because I think it's one of the most um, useful concepts that Swedenborg has. But back then that was like our first foray into it. So special Swedenborg minute to me and to you because I was gone yeah. when you were making it. So you want to talk about that? I think I had extra time to make this one. I <laughs> yeah. decided to make like... 3D stick figure people, and I, I don't expect a call from Pixar anytime soon. <laughs> they were good. That the way fun. that hat bounced at the end, man. That was fun. I, you can't fake that. You can fake that actually, <laughs> and I did. So, so I just left, and I had done the script. But usually in the beginning, we would like look over the hey, do this, do that, uh, like the sort of the storyboarding together. Mm -hmm. But you just came up with that one. I came back from wherever I was, some vacation or something, and I was like, oh, that's great. And you had already posted it, so I thought you did a good job. Good to it. have you around so I don't spend the two weeks on like the 10-second <laughs> intro yeah, like yeah. that. But hey, look at that. Now it's part of, of sure. web history. Um, so that is an important concept, and there is a choice involved in what you focus on. So if we have this negative and positive coming into the mind that's sort of the foundation of Swedenborgian cosmology, what do we focus on? That's what amplifies it. That's what reinforces it. And we had a discussion here uh, with Dr. Sony Werner, who we've had on the show a few times, like her a lot, uh, about uh, the, the focus and, and how we can shift it. So this is from an episode of this show called How to Tell the Difference Between Good and Evil Spirits. Take a look. Let's, as we usually do, let's, uh, let's get our minds right, because that, that's relatively important too. So... Sony, one of the things that, that Swedenborg describes in detail is this idea that um, heaven and hell are, while they're locations in an afterlife, they're mainly primarily states of mind, actually create locations. So we can actually tune in and out of these states of mind and kind of experience the, the heaven or the hell here on earth. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at those. Um, in, initially, what... What is the hell mindset, or how does Swedenborg describe hell in your reading? When I think about hell, I think that maybe evil spirits are telling me that 
I am the best person in the whole world and I'm allowed to dominate everybody. Or another minute they might say, I am worthless. Just not worth walking on the earth and I might as well destroy myself. Yeah, that, that pendulum. And I do think that that's kind of the, uh, the, the uh, timeline of the ego. You get really high highs and really low lows if everything is kind of predicated on this love of self. So, okay, excellent. So that's the kind of thing we could tune out. And then what do we tune in? What is the, the heavenly mindset in, in your experience? I like to focus on compassion. And I, it's a choice that each of us have to think about others, even if we don't agree with them, to try to think about what's it like to be that person and I, can I embrace their, their mind with love. Yeah, and I find it's not necessarily something that comes automatically. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I have to work. That sort of our default setting is what, thinking about me. What what is Curtis going to do? What am, what's going on in my day? But to actually, you know, uh, take a take a minute to say, all right, what are other people thinking about? Oh, there are other people in the universe. How are their days going? Um, that that can can take a little bit of work. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. And I think that there are many different spiritual traditions that can teach us how to do that. Swedenborgian ideas have one way. Buddhists have another way of saying just mindfully meditate and try to think about having compassion and forgiveness for others. So many different ways of doing it, but I think it's all about the theme of caring about others. Yeah, I was, so I tried, I tried, I made up my own tradition this morning. Uh, I was going to meet somebody, and I had a little bit of trepidation about it. You know, I was a little bit, oh, I, what's it going to be like? But I started to try to think about it from their perspective. Or like, oh, they're thinking that this that this guy's going to go meet them, and so how can I make it so it goes smoothly for them? It was just an interesting little thought ex uh, experiment, and uh, I could stand to do more of that. So that was from the beginning of the show. brings back a lot of memories. So, Matt, what do you think? That's not mad at all, everybody. It's Stuart Farmer. That's <laughs> like so funny that we did that. Uh, so I brought, well, Stuart is here because that was from the very beginning of the live show. And Stuart, you were initially, you started hanging out with us because we asked because you knew how to do yep. live streaming yep. stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about that early version 1.0 of the mm -hmm. show. And do you want to make any commentary on, on what you saw there and how it's oh, changed? Oh, wow. Since There's then? a lot I could say about that. We, we definitely went with... Um, Sort of the the initial uh, bare bones. Uh, we used a lot. We used Google Hangout. I don't know if you saw in the upper it, left yeah. hand. If you're looking at the screen, upper left hand corner, you see the G plus or Google plus. Uh, and it flickered somewhere. like. And it flickered. You saw uh, Sony flicker in and out. Well, you know Google Hangouts are you know they're they're sometimes tough to control. You have to do what we call sticky clicking, which is you know yeah manually jumping back and forth. Back then it was just whoever was making yeah. more noise would show up on the screen. Right. So you saw her up here for like a couple of frames. Yep, yep, then yep. it went back to me. Yeah, so uh, we, we were very, um, we were very uh, just sort of uh, aggressive in our uh, technical uh, goals there. So we were, you know, we had a combination of doing Google Hangouts with multiple people. And then on, yeah. on top of that, we would overlay graphics and, you know, like you saw the, the heaven and the hell. Uh, yeah, and, and, and we would pr try to bring in guests initially. Uh -huh. Initially, it was just me reading right. that book. And then, then Sony was one of the first times we brought in a guest, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and she was like connecting with us remotely. How remote was she? She was all of I want to say twenty <laughs> or fifteen yards away. She actually yeah. was in a room upstairs. So yeah. We, uh, you know, we hooked her up with a computer upstairs and uh, got her on, and you know, had the, the earbuds because of the, the feedback. 
or yeah, because we but could, it was, yeah. you know, but because we knew we were going to have other people on from in, in actual remote locations. But you know, as sort of far, as part of the the theme of having guests on remotely, we wanted to kind of keep it all looking the same. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't right. really have space, and that that wasn't in this room that we're in now, where we can have right. two people at a table. We were in a in a there, behind so. us, and there just wasn't room for mm-hmm. somebody else to sit in there, so we had to do it yeah. remotely. It, it was fun, though. I just remember, you know, her being the first time, and the first couple times we did it, we just, you know, you can see us running up and down the stairs because one little button needed to be clicked on her computer before we got going. Oh, yeah, I forgot just that. dashing up there. Actually, sometimes we had a guest in what is this room, yeah. and we were, over, we were over there, and so running back and forth down the hall, yep. it, was, it was fun. And, we had to be And we did support. have some legit remote guests you know from yes out we of did state and different time zones and yeah. so but so. but not in the very not for not in sony's case she was here no, she at was the time here. okay we so yeah oh for sure yeah. uh so we're moving on in our timeline you can we did that focus on heaven and hell thing with her uh and how do you do that though and one way that you can tune your mind toward the heavenly side of things is to Focus on which wants, which things you want in life. And this was a clip that we made long, long ago about that very thing. So take a look. So there might be a question that you're asking that's making you unhappy. You might be asking it when you're clashing with your significant other. You might be asking it when your boss weighs in on your latest project. You might be asking it in the gap between what you imagined your kids would be like and what they're actually like. This question could be phrased a couple of different ways, but I'll say it this way. Why aren't you giving me better stuff? Why aren't you giving me my ideal romantic experience? Why aren't you giving me approval and promotion? Why aren't you making me look good, or at least making my life easier? We also do this to inanimate objects. Why aren't you working? Why aren't you giving me money? Why aren't you making me a winner? Most importantly, we ask this question of life. We spend a lot of time stressing about this, having this internal dialogue of worry where we're asking, why aren't things going better? How can I make things go better? Why don't I have the reputation I want with the people around me? Why don't I have the skills and talents I want? Why aren't I catching the breaks that would really put me where I want to be? A lot of people turn this question toward the concept of God. People point to this as a reason to say there's probably no such thing as God. If God is so hip, why isn't he giving us all better stuff? Like less suffering, more happiness, more success, more winning the lottery. Where are you, God? Why are you giving me these strange, confusing, often very painful, or at least annoying, life events? If you love me, God, why aren't you giving me better stuff? It's got to be up there with the most asked questions of all time. If not explicitly and verbally, then implicitly, internally. But there's a major assumption here, one that's rarely examined, which is, what really is better stuff? For example, a lot of people think that one of the coolest things that could ever happen would be to suddenly have a lot of free money. But as some of you have probably already heard, when people study this, winning a huge pile of money doesn't make you happier. Winning a smaller amount of money in a BMW doesn't make you happier. And actually, winning big can mess up your ability to enjoy the regular little events in your life. A lot of people think that it would be really cool to be the best at something, to be an extraordinary talent. But a body of studies find that Olympic athletes the best of the best, often struggle with pretty serious depression after the Olympics are over. But why? Why doesn't getting the things we want make us happy? Isn't the lack of them the reason we were unhappy in the first place? Or is there something else going on here? Well, here's a different theory. 
So assuming he isn't living at a level of poverty where he really needs money for a decent life, it might be that what's driving this guy to want to win the lottery in the first place is an internal state of being dissatisfied with your current situation, longing for more of the things you don't have, and looking to that for happiness. That's the mode he's been running. So when he actually does win, all this cash comes spilling in. It gets into and changes his bank account. It gets into and changes his living situation. It gets into and changes the number of boats he owns. But it can't get into and change him. After the initial surge wears off, the program will continue to run. Now I'm dissatisfied with my surroundings again. Yeah, I have a boat, but it breaks down sometimes and is not nearly as cool as the boat these guys at the end of the dock have. If only I could just get an extra pile of cash and get that boat, then I'd really be set and I wouldn't have to worry and I could live the kind of life. And well, yeah, in a relationship you can work on compromising and trying to meet each other's needs. But the problem is that here, on a certain level, both parties are operating through the belief that love equals somebody giving me what I want or matching up with my romantic expectations. And no matter how much that's placated and catered to by the other partner, it's never going to turn into a real, sustainable, not self-centered desire to be a good partner for someone, aka love. The partner or the relationship isn't the problem. That is the problem. So when we're throwing up that question, the stuff we're agonizing about not getting actually isn't good for us at all. The real problem to be remedied in any of these situations is not what's happening in the situation, it's our attitude toward the situation. It's our attitude towards money, it's our attitude towards relationships, it's our attitude towards success. So if the cap on our happiness is our internal world, what really is better stuff? Not stuff that improves our situation, stuff that improves us. So if you're going to ask God, why aren't you giving me better stuff? That's fine, man. I know. Life can be really frustrating. But just consider that if we've been able to figure this out about what's good for us over the course of this six-minute video, an omniscient, omnipresent God would probably already be on top of this and be choosing what he gives when from this perspective. Don't you think? I'm going to suggest that you swap your question. Instead of asking of situations, of events, of people, why aren't you giving me better stuff? Ask, how is this helping me grow? How is this freeing me from the internal attitudes and beliefs that got me unhappy in the first place? Yeah, I didn't win, but losing has cooled my ego off with some humility and really has led me to be more accepting and forgiving towards flaws in myself and in others in a way that I wasn't before. Not being able to just jump out of my situation, while it's been a grind at times, has gotten me to better appreciate the things I do have, and that ability to work with what I have has been so helpful since I started a family. Not getting everything I want has forced me to take a look at myself and the dysfunction I bring to the relationship like I never have before. It's actually improving the way I relate to everyone I interact with. Switching that question might be the easiest way in the world to shed a bunch of unhappiness, discontent, and anxiety. Just try it. Watch the way it transforms situations, perspectives, experiences, and if you keep it up for a while, you might be able to see, on a bigger scale, just where and when you are getting better stuff. So Stuart, that was one of that. Uh, that was one of the first clips we made. That was before there was a Stuart. We made that. Yep. That was that the first thing we released after you started working on the project. That was the, the first project? thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you had been involved in earlier videos on the channel, but but not. That was when we really started to work on the project mm -hmm. together. Um, 
there's a lot that we could say about that. There's a lot of good behind the scenes in this okay, one. Okay, we'll lay it on me. Well, I mean, so there's a lot of blue people, right? Yes. Those are all real people with mm-hmm. hopes, feelings, dreams, etc. We film them in front of the green screen. Yeah. And uh, so we got a lot of very funny footage of people uh, people cheering. Go, yeah, great job, you're doing great. He did it, he really did it. Yeah, all right, good work, that was so good. Go, 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 give It makes sense in context when you see yeah. the video, but if you just see the, the isolated footage of the people, we just said to them, hey, you know, bump your fist, act uh-huh. like you're really, now be more excited. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm in there, I'm the guy who, uh, Won the lottery. Oh, the basketball. Are you the basketball guy? Okay. No, that was someone else. But okay. I won the lottery, if nice. you recall. Yes. Congrats. And thank you. I didn't see any. Well, it turned out not that. super great for oh, me. Okay. Actually. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. Okay. So you were that blue silhouette. Yeah. And uh, so there's some funny footage of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, you know the basketball guy. We actually had a basketball. Yes. Being dribbled and. The floors are not good for that here. Yeah, we, you couldn't shoot the basketball very far because <laughs> yeah, you just had the pump the fake. Screen, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was cool. And we also had some very distinguished guests that we got to do humiliating things like that cheering and stuff. So it was, yeah, yeah. So that was cool. And then, and we were really just trying to figure out also the voice of the the channel. Like it was, how do you communicate Swedenborg stuff, but in a way that the world was. We didn't have any people who wanted to hear about Swedenborg back then. They were just YouTube just blank YouTube. Is anyone going to be interested? So we're trying to, I was trying to figure out in writing that how, what language can I use that people will understand and be interested in? Uh, you know, now we can just give Swedenborg and people are like, that's fun. That's fun. But back then we we're trying to poke through into something. So, yeah. uh, so that, that's a cool clip. And, and one of our very first, and that was the only one we ever made notes on. That oh, was yeah. the strategy because we, we did that first video with, without really any, overt Swedenborg in it and then we had the notes video on it which tells you about the Swedenborg and where that all came from so that mm-hmm. was how we did it back in the day yep there uh, <laughs> this is uh one of the things I like to do is spend a long time on little tiny things that nobody cares about the physical ish gimmicks yeah. we care man I care about those things whatever they are there's a <laughs> there's a scene where the camera is painting across uh Showing all these different people having a yep. bad time. And uh, <laughs> there's a chip bag that falls over. I remember that. I do remember you being like pretty focused on getting that to look good. Yeah, it was because uh, we didn't have the right software to... I mean, now it's easy to do because of the software this was, we have. This was like... This was like three years ago. Yeah. The technology didn't exist. Oh, the time. technology did exist. I just didn't <laughs> have it. The, yeah. And so I spent a really long time trying to get this chip bag to fall over and yeah. learning the software. And man, did it fall over. When we were just getting our, our, our content engine, our ability to produce videos was just getting yeah. going. We're figuring out how to do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So from that, so, so there overall the video is about looking at what... What do we focus on? How do we interpret things? I mean, now we'd call that the stream of providence, as Swedenborg describes it, is this is happening rather than me despairing about it. I'm going to trust there's something good coming out of it. Um, so that is part of the human thing, is, is realizing that the divine runs things. Or so, so says Swedenborg. Uh, and then this, this brings us to the discussion of religion in general in our, our, our human uh pursuit of humanity. Um, and he has a lot to say about that. We made a clip. This was our 
I guess I was going to say our only music video, but no, we've done two of those. Um, yes. This was another, this was one of our later, when we were in our phase of making like three to eight minute produced videos. Uh, and this was the only time, yeah, that I wrote a, a song and we put music to it. And this is essentially a musical version of, you could say, maybe True Christianity, his book True Christianity, where he talks a lot about the dangers of faith alone. He says that that's actually one of the primary religious toxins or human toxins. Uh, you look, last show we were talking about um, Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ come? Because the world, the world of spirits was so out of whack, or for his second coming was so out of whack, and that was because there's all this faith alone in there. So this is how I think you know, some language he could potentially use if he were writing today about Faith Alone, so take it up. Peace. Please believe that there's a lot of human need and a lot of hungry bellies that could do without human greed and a lot of people packing churches looking for a seed hoping for a higher love to patch up where we all bleed and they're there to learn and it's a perfect opportunity to say, hey, we're all God's children and pump love and aid into the community. But what they get is politics, us and them, and judgment of the sick, and then we use God to hit each other. Like God's some kind of stick. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you win the planet, buddy, it doesn't work. Exhibit A, human ego, selfishness, and it strives to subjugate, manipulate, and criticize other people in their lives. It's got territory in each of us, and it's looking to rule. And if it's in charge, religious concepts are just another tool. The way religions go to war is the way countries go to war. It's the way people go to war for whatever they want a war for. The mentality and the method here are all the same. Isn't that odd? It's cause it's the ego driving all of it. The religious covering is just a facade. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work. You took faith over love. And that sticking to your interpretation of the plan was higher on God's priority list than the agony of your fellow man. Why is there so much anti-religion stuff on the message boards? Because there's a bunch of really mean people out there saying, hey, I know the Lord. You say belonging to a club is the way, but man, love is the way. It's not a ritual you do, it's not some prayer that you say. The world has open hands looking to you for wisdom, but they find none. And let me remind you in a few lines just how far you've fallen from. You were meant to tell us that there is meaning in experience, an antidote for the cold, healing from our flaws, marriage of body and soul, a higher purpose, a message in the weather, and a divine protector who can string these hearts and moments together, and how love in the eyes holds the potential and eternity, and the still small voice say, take, come and learn from me. And yes, you'll see them in the wild again. They were never just the flesh, and I'll hold, and you'll smile again as we watch the death of death. And kindness is not a weakness, it's the holy core of life. And blood and competition too will pass as epiphanies grow from strife. And you are no accident, you are precious and you'll be fine. In short, the most beautiful things that you can tell a conscious mind is not about doctrinal boxes or what you say or how you appear, but this. When you walk in, do people say, oh, thank God you're here. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work. Religion means nothing if you've got it, but you're still a jerk. For me, you and the planet, buddy, it doesn't work.
So lots to talk about there. Yep. Wasn't so funny. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's some there's some funny behind the scenes footage in this episode or this show. Uh-huh. This clip. Yeah. Um Wait, so, what? so there's a there's a shot near the end where two people hug, they're holding flags and oh, they yeah. put aside their differences to give each other a big bear hug. Okay. Well that was none other than these <laughs> two people you're seeing All right. here. Roll the footage. <laughs> And And we had to hug for a longer time for the sake of the footage. Which was, you know, we got to know each other pretty well. Yeah, a little like brother reconnection. Yeah, yeah. Not that we're brothers necessarily. We're not right. going to tell you guys whether or not we're brothers. Um, okay, so there was that. Now that's the things that you do for the sake of the video. It's it's hard, you know. What, el- what else about that one? Man, so uh, the big hair pulling out scene was the, the beginning and the end with the planet. Oh, okay. Not, not, you were pulling out your hair. I was pulling out my hair. Okay. Uh, I didn't know how to make a planet. Holy smokes, what the heck do you do? <laughs> you know, it took Profanity, me... easy. Sorry. I, uh... It... I, it's easy for me. I just say, Matt, can, can we have like a planet in the beginning that yeah. sort of spins? And it couldn't be planet Earth, so we didn't, you know, target countries and stuff. Oh, right, yes. Or, right. Like, we didn't I... want to have the church be in a specific country then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would, yeah, that would be like you're... Yeah, gonna ruffle feathers, you know. Right. So, uh, the solution ended up being uh, a bunch of. We took. I took Planet Earth, right? And I took all the places with water, and I used uh, software to fill in that with land. So it was just a. It was like Planet Earth map, but take out all the water and put in land, right? Mm-hmm. And then I used different um, fractal images layered on top of each other, and they. Use different equations to get um, sort of land forms. You used equations? Well, nice. and the computer used equations. I just sat there like an idiot typing. AX squared <laughs> profanity, yeah. Matt. Right, sorry. AX squared. Okay. All right. All right. So, that, any any other notes on that? Yeah. One more thing is the, the church. That gets yes. featured a bunch. Um, yep. Uh, when you first told me about this, I read the script, and I said, Curse, you're insane. But I also... Profanity, <laughs> Matt. Sorry. And, uh, but I also saw the... There was a church scene, and I was like, "Oh boy, I want to make it inside of a church." Because like, yeah. I we had just fun to model. Yeah, it was like, "Oh, I'm gonna make it look kind of realistic and stuff." And so when we were still deciding on the style of the whole thing, right? And then we then I realized much later on, it's like this doesn't fit in anywhere, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's supposed to be a cartoon church. Yeah. But I oh, managed yeah. to sneak it in. Yes. Oh, end. yeah. You had you had spent a long time modeling this really yeah. nice inside of the church. But then we like had a chip bag where I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spending forever. This is, on this this is like your thing. your art project. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the, uh, yeah, but but it turned out to be great because you had this moment where it goes from sort of a little more silly to serious, and then that you turned into this realistic thing. There, I thought yeah. it ended up being pretty powerful. Good. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. So that a lot, a lot went into that, um, but ho- hopefully doing some justice to a modern interpretation of this pivotal message in Swedenborg. Moving on, we're going to go to a clip uh, about wisdom because Swedenborg says that part of what makes us human, or or all of what makes us human, is love and wisdom. Being able to accept those things from the divine. And this was an episode we had with uh, Dan Sinisvet, who's a professor of philosophy, and he had a lot of cool things. He had studied Swedenborg a lot and knew a lot of philosophy, and we were talking sort of about how to become wise, uh, as Swedenborg put it, in the context of philosophy. So here's a little clip from the show. And so to Swedenborg, wisdom and life are pretty much inseparable, that you can't just be what like you can't just sit and think about it and, and become right. wise there has to be some living there so let's hear him say that this is from his book married love 130 what is wisdom of life it is a in a comprehensive summary it is this to shun evils because they are hurtful to the soul hurtful to the commonwealth and hurtful to the body and to do goods because they are beneficial to the soul the commonwealth and the body so he's telling us what wisdom is, and it almost has nothing to do with information. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's a way that you live, and it has a moral underpinning. Yes. And what's interesting is in the same book, he has um, some stories about mm-hmm. actually ancient Greeks and, and philosophers that he meets in the spiritual world. And, and the full title of the book is actually The Delights of Wisdom That Pertain to Married Love. Yeah. And the pleasures of insanity that relate to adulterous love. Yeah. So it, it, it like some of his other books, like Divine Love and Wisdom. Always love and wisdom together. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's always love and wisdom together. And this one in particular, I think, is, is very practical. Um, and it, it goes back to a debate that uh, it's no wonder that he has talks about the ancient Greeks, because the ancient Greeks themselves had a debate. Is there wisdom that's just about sort of theories and it's very abstract and about understanding mm-hmm. um, the causes of things? Uh, or is wisdom more about application? So is wisdom about, uh, uh, you know, how to do things like a craftsman is right. able to make a boat or a shoe very skillfully? Kinetic intelligence. Some people will talk about different right. forms of inter- yep. athletic intelligence. Or, yeah. or, or um, eventually the, the philosophers also talk about um, a phronesis or a practical wisdom. It's really about how to live a virtuous life. And that doesn't mean make yourself necessarily better than everybody else, but it, it means you you see what good is, and you don't just see it abstractly, like oh, I have a theory about the good. It's no, I'm here with you or with other people. It's a particular situation, and I can I can see what's true, and I can actually apply that to help strengthen good relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's a today we would call it. Um, a wisdom about people and how they work. Not people skills almost sounds a little too manipulative. Right. It's more well, here's one of the radical things that I think Swedenborg says about wisdom that I really haven't seen in other places. And that is he says, inside wis- true wisdom is innocence. Mm-hmm. That's that's new. That's different. You you um, think it this is somebody who's who seen it all, you know? Yeah, and, and it's and it's not innocence as you might typically think about someone who's lived a very um, sheltered, you know, life yeah. out in a cloister somewhere. 
um, or, or the innocence of a baby. It's not the innocence of ignorance. He talks about the innocence of wisdom. So you've lived a full active life. You've been doing all sorts of things. Um, but within, within your good judgment, within your prudence, there is a continual recognition that any light that you have on subjects and how to help people, it's really from God. It's yeah. really from the Lord. And um, the, the whole point of life is to help people grow spiritually. And that, that, that is wisdom because that is valuable. I mean, that, he right. says that that's what carries over when we transition out of this life, that, that that is what is beneficial to society, as he was saying in that yeah. quote, that, there's, is that, that, that that's a precious stone, you know, because there is, there's use in that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and that, that's what it gets back to. In our second quote, the, the rays of light coming in, uh, you know, and to recognize, okay, I'm like, like Socrates was, that well, I'm not that wise at all, you right. know, but I'm, I'm receiving it. It's just kind of what right. some people would call waking up to what's, what's really happening. That was a great clip, wasn't it, Kurt? Ah! You're not Curtis. Nope. I'm back. Hi, Stuart. Hi. Good to see you. So let's talk about a little bit about the sh- evolution of the show. Uh-huh. It certainly evolved. Yes. Uh, we started with Swedenborgian Life, what we called 1.0. 1.0. Yep. Where what you saw in the first clip. This clip you just watched was 2.0, but let's mm-hmm. start at the beginning with 1.0. Mm-hmm. 1.0 was made just to uh, have something easy we could make where yep. Curtis is reading a book without graphics. Uh, mm-hmm. It was made so we could have more time to spend on other things, mm-hmm. bigger projects, while we were still putting out content. That's right. Um, and I was working a little bit a week on mm-hmm. that. And we were advancing through a book. Every every week we'd come right. back to the same book and kind of pick up where we, where we left off. And it yeah. was really nice. It was sort of a like a book study. Yeah. And then uh, once we finished that book, I think then that's when we went into 2.0, or do we have a little bit of... There was an evolutionary period. I think we did segments out at the end of that book. We kind of maybe skipped a couple spots. Yeah, we skipped some chapters and yeah. stuff. But uh, in 2.0, the show was doing very well. So mm-hmm. spent I spent about half my time on the show yep. on 2.0. Yep, and 2.0, we, we we changed rooms. We changed yeah. the whole look of our studio. We're this room. This room. We're we're in this room now. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't. We had a different backdrop, um, yeah. which you saw. We had uh, real paintings on the wall, and we had a real door without without a real doorknob, which yeah. we people did pick up on. We finally found the doorknob and, and put it on, and of course, people noticed that too, which was fun. It's over the there. It's right there. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we changed things up, and we really wanted to we wanted to have interaction. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that really spawned 2.0 is we wanted interaction. We wanted interaction between Curtis and live uh, a lot of audience members or not audience, sorry, live guests, mm-hmm. and that was really fun. We had so many wonderful guests come in, and and of course we still have those guests uh, contribute to the show in the current version, which we've had. 2.0. Yeah, we've had 3.0. We've had 3.5. <laughs> and there's a little bit of debate. We were talking about this today. Are we in 3.75? Are we still in 3.5? We, we always, we're always trying to improve and we're always trying to... Trying. Yeah. We're, always, we're always trying new things, <laughs> you know, um, with varying levels of success. But. And in 2.0, my favorite part of the week was Monday when the guests would show up and be someone new in the office and mm-hmm. we get to hang out yep. and stuff. And sometimes we had one guest like Dr. Dan there and sometimes we'd have two. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just like in the question and answer show, sometimes we had a total of four people, which is a yeah. lot of fun technically. And, and you know, I had to run all the, the audio for that, which mm-hmm. is, which is a lot of fun. Yep. And 3.0 is when I went full time on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, 
which is nice. We spend a lot of time on graphics. Yeah, yeah. I know Curtis and his team spend a lot of time on writing it. And absolutely, yeah. It's a lot more in-depth, and mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, it's absolutely fun, yep. And, uh, and, and I think for 3.0, one of the things that we wanted to get, we wanted to continue improving on that uh, interaction, you know, community interaction. That's when we really started to introduce, you know, uh, questions from the viewers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's been a real blessing for us because we have seen so many wonderful insights when we read the chat, uh, the chat bar. We save everything because we love, you know, uh, looking back at people's questions, looking back at people's comments. Um, and that's part of what I do during the show now is I, I sort of pay attention to what's going on there and, mm-hmm. you know, help, sort of help to, to moderate. And, We're both uh, reading the chat. So. Oh, yeah. So we, we know who's naughty and who's nice. Be nice, you know, guys. Nice. <laughs> you're, all, you're all nice. We yeah. know you're all nice. But, uh, um, but we, we, love, we love seeing the regulars. Um, and uh, also we love um, seeing uh, the, con- the contributions that a lot of our guests make. And actually, um, at least a sort of you know, the next segment we have coming up, we had a, a person named Robin who had an NDE, and they wanted to share that NDE, NDE with us. So uh, we actually worked with them, and they sent us in a video uh, of them um, talking about their experience and, and what it felt like and what they learned. And it was, it was, a, really great, it was a really great moment for us to, to get that uh, privilege to, to watch the video. So uh, go ahead and watch it, and um, yeah. Hi. I was going to relate a story of, a, of an event that happened to me when I was a teenager. I was struck by a, by a car one night and uh, got a broken femur and a bad concussion. Uh, when I got to the hospital, the doctor misjudged my weight and overdosed me on morphine. They said my blood pressure went lower than anybody's had ever seen go and still survive. I was basically dead for a matter of hours there, I guess. But I don't recall any of that. What I do recall is after I got out of the hospital several weeks later, I was laying in bed at home and I was awakened at 3 in the morning by a being person, an angel, standing at the foot of my bed with a very bright white light coming out of him. He just stood there and looked at me and smiled. Then he took my spirit and he showed me what eternity was like with nothing in it, absolute emptiness and darkness forever and ever and ever, you know, and it was just terrifying. after I was released, I was uh, I laid under the covers, you know, and shook for about three hours. The next night, it happened again. Uh, I was awakened at three in the morning, very beautiful being standing at the foot of my bed with a bright light coming out of him. This time he just smiled and I got a feeling of overwhelming love and acceptance. Uh, the kind that you can only uh, only get from a visitation from uh, somebody that has died or an angel in this case. Um, I think that it matches perfectly with what Swedenborg has related as far as the way angels communicate. Neither one spoke. Uh, they were both uh, very beautiful beings with white light coming out of them. Welcome back, Curtis. Thanks very much. That, what you saw there, 
somebody sharing an experience that's happened to them. That was really how this whole thing started. I mean, the, before we even had this YouTube channel or before we were doing it for Swedenborg Foundation, we had a Facebook page, Heaven and Hell, and on there people began sharing experiences they, that they'd had that were similar to Swedenborg's or, or had touched them in some way. That's how the community really began. So that was cool. We really appreciate Robin sharing that story with us. And you see there sort of, uh, you know, the negative and the positive side in his experiences there. So we really appreciate it. Hopefully in the future we get more and more stuff from people who have been watching the show. And we actually, we do have another clip that we got. Uh, this is from Jordan, who because we before this program, we sent out a little, hey, to the fans of the show, do you guys want to put your put your story in there? So this is, this is Jordan describing a particular idea in Swedenborg that affected him positively, because we want to know, uh, is our content making a difference for anybody? Are Swedenborg's ideas uh, benefiting life, because that's the whole point, Swedenborgian life. So this is what he had to say about a particular idea that influenced him. So one of the ways that Swedenborg has influenced me is on his teaching about marriage. So I was raised as a pretty typical Calvinist, and so I believed that um, salvation was by faith alone, and that marriage ceases once you get to heaven so that um, whatever like spouse that you have they're just they're just moving on and so are you and uh, you can go and you can uh, worship God in the clouds or whatever vague situation you have in mind um, but you're not a couple anymore too bad right and if you miss that in this side of life then you've lost your one chance and I always thought that was very sad. And, um, and it gave me a sense of desperation about getting married. Because uh, I felt like I had to hurry up and do that in, in this mortal material life. Um, because this was my only chance. And uh, so then one day I ran into Swedenborg's writings. And they explained the internal sense of marriage that it wasn't just um, it wasn't just a metaphor that described Jesus and the church, um, but it was an entire pattern that described uh, life everywhere in the universe, uh, all the way down from the lowest material uh, combinations, all the way up to the highest spiritual combination, and the marriage between the Lord and the church is true. It's the highest. It's the highest form of that. But that marriage can exist on many, many other forms as well. And that was really exciting to me. Um, because a marriage between good and truth and a marriage between faith and charity, that suddenly made sense. That suddenly explained why I love uh, chaste love, why I love charity, um, why... I love the idea of a union between um, a man and wife that can last unto all eternity. Like, why are we romantic in the first place? It's because this pattern is pervasive in the whole universe and that the Lord loves marriage and he wants us to experience that in the fullest sense. And that's given me a tremendous amount of hope and it's made a lot more sense as to why we have a reason to want to 
love without being lustful, why we want to love without um, being adulterous, why do we want to hold on to a union between, um, between two opposites, because it's a lot of work, it can be a challenge, um, but that the payoff is um, the spiritual unity, it's peace, it's the Sabbath, and it is glorious. And um, I'm hoping to be able to teach um, young men about this idea in the future to encourage them to uh, be chaste and to love one woman for their whole life because the payoff is incredible. So again, thanks very much for that clip. And we'll, we'll be putting things out in the future to get more input from people. It's just cool to see somebody say, I like this idea. This had a good impact on me. So thanks for sharing your passion around it. Now we're going to move on. We remember we're on this quest to discover how can we be more human. Um, yeah, right. And there's a whole side of it that's dealing with adversity humanely or dealing with who you might call your enemies humanely or like people that bother you. And we get that question a lot because we're on this channel saying, love, love, it's all about love. You got to be loving. But what do you do if somebody's taking advantage of you, if somebody's going to harm other people? How do you draw that line? And Swedenborg is, is really clear about what love is in different situations. And this is a conversation in 2.0, show 2.0. 2.0. I, I heard what you guys were talking about, uh, where we have a couple of people talking about how to love your enemies, or, or how does that come about that you use what, what Swedenborg calls in old translations, discriminate charity. So here is a clip. I entitled this one, The Fundamental of Goodwill, just based on the Swedenborg quote, and it's a little just a, uh, an extra layer on the same thing. So let's take a look at the quote that it's from fundamentally speaking because when you want to know what what the fundamental of goodwill maybe not but fundamentally speaking goodwill is wanting what is best for others this desire resides in the inner self when people of goodwill resist an enemy punish a guilty person or discipline evil people clearly they do so through the medium of their outer selves therefore after the situation comes to an end they go back to the goodwill that is in their inner selves as much and as usefully as they can, they then wish the others well and benefit those others in a spirit of goodwill. And so you, I, I really like that image. In, the, in your mind the whole time, you know, you're thinking about how eventually you can benefit this person. You know, and that, as soon, and that come, to your, come to your senses. As soon as this, you're free of whatever malady is making you act in a way that I have to be corrective. And he says, you know, in the outer self, it can, it can look like pretty harsh. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes... You got to move forcefully, but but that this is inside this. Okay, I'm not burning all these bridges because uh, you know my it's not always going to be possible. You know, if I get messages sometimes, people are saying, um, "What about yeah, you try to love someone, but they are neglectful or 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 you know somehow dysfunctional." You know, you want to in the end be their friend. It may not they may not always reciprocate, but but just that that's kind of held in there. So it sounds like this. This inner and outer self that I hear you talk about often, Peter, at play as well. Well, wanting what's best for the other person from the interior person within me, that would be real love. Uh, outside of that, there's the love of myself, and that love doesn't want what's best for them. It wants what's best for me. And I will find myself in conflict with them if they're in touch with their outside and they want what's best for them. I want what's best for me, and it's the same piece of cake or it's the same uh, parking spot, then we're in conflict. 
but if I can get back in touch with what's best for them and let go of those concerns what's best for me, then I can start to resonate to the part in them that can be concerned with other people. And it may take years. I mean, you're not necessarily going to see that on the street when you're arresting somebody. Yep. <clears throat> and just to recognize that their ego doesn't care what you think's best for them, like sobriety. They think what's best for them is getting what they want. Uh, so there's going to be conflict. It isn't conflict-free just because you can be in touch with what's best for the other person. Yep, yep, and and best judgment, you know, that you're going by what you think is right and you're trying to do it. And I like how you mentioned uh, everything from we want the same parking space to, you know, we're, I'm, I'm uh, put incarcerating you for your own good, that, that we go through these processes both uh, with big issues and with little issues. It sort of sounds like, oh, how do you love your enemies? You, you make little enemies in your mind all the time. You know, right. and, and it can, Chuck, it can be just as important to fight those little, ba- like act <laughs> like a, a, a Gandhi in those little things as right. in the big ones, right? Right. I, I, love, I love the quote, the devil is in the details, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it is, it is this, the odds of me being an axe murderer tonight are pretty much nil. Thank goodness. The odds, thank goodness. The odds, though, of me going home and, and having an argument my, with my wife over something silly, what Peter's talking about, where, where my ego wants its way, her ego wants her way, and nobody's asking the question, what's best or how can I serve? The odds of that are, are pretty much hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and it's 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 about habits, you know, yeah. and about that, that if you know this is where you get to train in a relatively safe situation, and then when big things come up, then, you know, there, there's more preparedness. I would also say that those it may appear to be small uh, over a parking spot, right? Uh, but there's ra- road rage, which ends up with people shot over, yes. over something like that. Swedenborg says that every evil goes down to the deepest hell. So it's like the tip of the iceberg. It may start with an irritation, but it's capable of becoming homicidal. Even if it's only within you, you feel this homicidal feeling towards someone who's done something contrary to your will, even if it's simple. Uh, You're not going to commit a homicide, but you can feel those feelings. (laughs) And you don't always always recognize them. But but sometimes, like, you know, there'll be a kids soccer match or something and mm-hmm. people will seriously hurt each, like parents will seriously hurt each other because of something that went down you, you do hear this spillover and that's a great point that Swedenborg mentions that um, all the hell all hell or all negativity is all sort of one thing you know it's all connected in various ways so that you really you think I'm just fighting this little thing but it's like you know the ocean is behind it and our last stop on the journey of humanity this sounds pretty cool. The journey yeah. of humanity is hope. Maintaining that even though it seems like individually, how am I ever going to achieve this goal? Uh, collectively, human race, are we ever going to get it together? Maybe not, feels like. But we are, and there is reason to hope. And this next clip is about that hope. And it happened one spring when there had just been a pretty tough winter. So we'll, we'll let you take a look. Then we'll do a few comments on how it was made. I want to say welcome to the flowers. It's nice to see you. It's been an especially cold winter. And lately, it's been cold for the people, too. We're cold in the way we talk, cold assessments of each other, cold comments. You'd be surprised how much ice can linger in the heart. Cold, calculating motivation. 
cold between people, between groups, between countries. Sometimes the winter just drags on. Which is why I'm so glad to see you and to know that not so long ago this same spot was buried in ice. Swedenborg said that the mind too blooms like a flower when we understand. And isn't it understanding that heals? An understanding between two or an understanding of what it's like to be the other and then watch as the blooming of humanity fills what was lifeless and gray with beauty. And while these flowers in the ground will come back every year, ours wait on us. We have to open before they will. But take heart, because although we now look out and we find apathy and blame and scapegoating and cruelty and fields of ice, there is a potential in our soil, through light and through warmth. And I see a day when the deadness is gone, and there's more than arguments and wars and frozen earth. I see a day when it's nothing but flowers, as far as you can possibly see. we showed that one because mm-hmm. I like that one not that many people have seen it but I think one of the things I really like about it was uh, Grayson Zuber was the guy playing the guitar we, and you heard that music pop up but he's a really really good classical guitarist who just came in sat in the studio and just recorded all these cool songs he and made that for that video for that video we, we asked him and he said he would play for us so that's pretty cool um, all right, so any technical notes on that thing uh, near the end of the video there's a shot of a tree Oh, the white flowers on it. We shot that long, long, long time ago. It was another, it was like the spring before at least. Yeah, and I remember like just, ago. I was just like, this looks so cool. Get a shot of it. We'll use yeah. it at some point. We had this big bulky track that we were using. It's this giant rubber uh, the tubes that were terrible to work with because they were so heavy. You have a bad attitude. Well, they were so heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and... They were so hard to work with, especially it was, with just it two was, people. In, it was incredibly, it was probably um, 30 feet or something like that, Ugh. but it was just amazing. I could barely carry it on my own. Yeah. So, yeah, but but it got a cool sort of rolling shot. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then the rest of it is just about uh, general hope. And that's what we hope we've inspired you guys with today on our journey. There's a little bit on how to become more human. Hopefully you're already feeling a little bit more human and hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Like and subscribe as per usual if you feel like donating to support the arts, in this case this show. It's a nonprofit. You're welcome to do that. We're going to be back next week with one of those four-person question and answer panels. As we said, we like our audience. We want to make sure you guys feel heard. And so you get to dictate the topics there. So show up same time next week and we'll have that live Q&A. Thanks. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your 2015 and we'll see you in the new year.